Welcome to Effortless Swimming, the podcast for swimmers, triathletes, and coaches. Join Australian swim coach Brenton Ford as he reveals the latest techniques and information to improve your swimming. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My name is Brenton Ford, and today's guest is a close friend of mine who I've had on the podcast twice before. It's ultramarathon swimmer Chloe McArdle, who has successfully completed a triple crossing of the English Channel. And it's something that Chloe has attempted twice before, but not made. But just recently, she completed the triple crossing. And it's something that hasn't been done by a person for 25 years. And Chloe's the fourth person in history to do it. And so we look at what she did differently this time compared to her last two attempts. I think it's really interesting hearing what changes she made and and the reason why they actually helped her get across. And we also look at her day-to-day life and how she brings herself to the pool or the ocean to get her training done when it can be so monotonous and challenging. And we also have a look at what Chloe's doing now to help other swimmers get across the English Channel for those people who are looking to challenge themselves with an open, a cold open water swim uh, that's as challenging as the English Channel. So listen in, here's Chloe talking about how she got started in ultramarathon swimming. Well, I fell in love with the English Channel in 2009. So that was the first year I went over there and I was trying to do a double solo crossing. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't successful that year. But in 2010, I did complete the double solo crossing. And from then on, I've had in my mind fi- a fixation to do it, triple crossing. Um, most years I've tried. So in 2011, I tried. 2012, um, I tried. Both were unsuccessful. Uh, 2013, I was so exhausted from trying that I went and did another swim. Cuba to the USA, that wasn't successful. And then 2014, I just did a solo of the English Channel as a training preparation for the Bahamas World Record that year. And then once I got that Bahamas World Record, I was like ready to go back and attack this triple crossing. And then this year, I was lucky enough for everything to fall in line and, you know, we were successful, which is fantastic. So it's now 2015. So, yeah, so six years ago, you sort of started to to look at doing this. And, I mean, after the first two attempts where you're unsuccessful, did it ever cross your mind to – did it ever cross your mind that maybe, you know, that you shouldn't go for it again? Did you ever think about stopping? I didn't. I always knew that I would need to succeed at this before my swimming career ended. Otherwise, I would feel like it would be something that was unfulfilled, like a major a major title or a, not so much title, but like a, you know, something that's really important to me. So, you know, I knew I, I had to do it at some stage, but it got to the point after 2011 and 12 that I was just so exhausted from, you know, 365 days a year thinking about this swim, most of those days training towards it in the pool and the freezing cold water, and I just needed a break. So that's why, you know, in 2013 I went to a warm water swim and 2014 as well. So I think that break was really good for me to just change my focus for those two years to warm water um, because it's a different type of training, and then that allowed me to kind of recuperate and then bring bring out all the big guns and because I did change a few things leading into this triple attempt and and I think that 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 time away was was really beneficial in the end. 
what things did you change from the last two to the this one, which was successful? Well, leading up into this one, I did um, in the last week between the end of June and first of the first week of July, I did three single crossings of the English Channel in seven days. So that was like doing a split, triple English Channel crossing, but you know over the course of a week. So I was doing the same distance that I would I would swim for a triple crossing, so that was good. Building up, you know, my aerobic capacity while adding to it as well, but also becoming more comfortable and familiar with the idea of this triple crossing because mentally it's a, it's a huge thing to get your head around. So I just became very comfortable being out there. It became, you know, like second nature, like like you know going home or going to work, just something routine. And another big thing I did was I went to Scotland and swam in Loch Ness for six days, up to five hours a day, and that was 11 Celsius. So the channel was, I was predicting it to be to be about 16 Celsius. So to swim in 11 Celsius is considerably colder. And, you know, that gave me, I think, you know, extra edge against the cold because the cold was the hardest challenge for me of all the challenges that you'd expect coming into a triple crossing. Yeah, and that, that's something that I um, spoke about in the last podcast with professional triathlete Josh Amberge. I mean, it was just in training, you've really got to be doing, uh, or you've got to be sort of, yeah, doing stuff that's harder um, than what you expect to um, to do in, in your racing. And for you, that was going to a colder temperature and and also just getting familiar with with swimming the channel, just like it's uh, an everyday thing. And I remember sort of watching your Facebook as you were doing those those in the, those you know, one crossings, um, the three of them for the week. And I was just I couldn't believe it. You know, I sort of opened up my Facebook, and that day I just done a, another cro- uh, channel crossing, and then a few days later another one again. And um, and you know, just just from watching that, it just seemed like you were you were able to do them very comfortably. And I mean, it may have not felt that way, but just from a mental point of view, was that, did it make it a lot easier mentally to, to do the triple? Yeah, I think so. Because having, having done those three single crossings by the end of it, I was confident because I wasn't exhausted. I, I didn't need to, you know, sleep it off for a week or anything. I, um, I, I gained a huge amount of confidence from it. So it's not just the, you know, the, the physical benefit of doing a split triple crossing over a week. But, you know, confidence-wise, it was really good. Um, it was good to, for example, swim uh, into France. I had two opportunities to swim that last kilometre or, or, you know, that, that three-quarters of a mile into France. The tides are very strong around France and you need to fight them to get in most of the time. And... I had to fight really hard on those singles and that was good because I the triple, the day they ended up doing the triple, it was between August 8th and 9th. The tides were horrible but I'd had that mental preparation of horrible entries into French, French land. Um, two of my three crossings earlier in that season, they were horrible as well. So when you've been there and done that, in a fairly recent uh, time frame, it becomes more familiar and I guess you're more comfortable and you're more able to to get your body in a position to, you know, achieve what you need to achieve. And this is the first triple crossing in the last, in 25 years. So why do you, 
why hasn't someone done it for that long? Why has it been such a long-standing swim? It is interesting because the other three triple crossings that were done were done within the space of uh, about four years. So three different people could swim triple solo crossings you know, at the end of the 80s and 1990, but then yet there was this just big void for a quarter of a century. And I can't explain it. Um, obviously, you know, swimmers who are really tough and really experienced can do this swim, but for some reason for the last 25 years haven't done this swim. Um, so I don't think it's a lack of ability. I think maybe it's, it's you know, some other X factor. Uh, and I, you know, I can't put my handle on it. Obviously, it's extremely difficult. You know, I've, I've tried two other occasions and, and haven't got there um, but I think it's it's more than the difficulty. Maybe it was a mind block or maybe, you know, people felt like it had been done, you know, that didn't need to be achieved again. I'm I'm not quite sure. But um, the swimming community are, are pretty excited about it, which is good. And there are still people trying, it's a very small number, trying to do tri- a triple solo. And hopefully this will give them extra confidence and you know, extra stimulation to go and achieve that. It'd be wonderful if someone could do that in the next few years and not have to wait another 25 years for it to happen again. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see a, uh, a flurry of, you know, a few more swimmers, swimmers doing it or, or at least attempting it. It'd be, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens. But, um, I mean, we were talking about it earlier, but it's just such a such a huge accomplishment just with the water temperatures and the, uh, and the distance that you swim. And you look at uh, Everest and how many people climb that and, um, you look at all these other sort of challenges that are really big challenges that are out there for people to, to go after, and this is one that has only been done by four people ever. And, uh, you know, it takes a, a special kind of person to be able to do it. And, um, and I love how you've, you've come back after two unsuccessful attempts. And, I mean, I remember the one three years ago when you had the crew f- uh, from uh, 60 Minutes uh, sort of following you on your journey and there with you during the swim and, um, you know, unfortunately didn't make it, but, but you had the, the courage to go back and do it again after sort of everyone saw that, um, you had to get pulled out or after one and a half crossings and, um, and that you've gone back. I think it's just, uh, just awesome because most people would, would think, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's not possible. Maybe I can't do it, but you've, uh, you've stuck at it and, and done such a great job. And as well as, um, doing the Bahamas swim last year, the world record, uh, distance swim there like it's uh I don't, I don't know how you do it and i don't think i'll ever understand but uh it's it's just awesome watching you accomplish those things thanks brenton <laughs> and <laughs> it's uh i remember when uh when we first met it was at uh, a swim squad um here in melbourne and just sort of you know going to, to regular sessions and um you know and you just kept sort of plugging away at the session and just holding a very constant pace. And then uh, I think it probably took me five or six months for someone to say, oh, you know, Chloe does, this is what Chloe does. And I had, uh, I had no idea until, um, until, until a few months and, uh, you know, and now you've gone on to achieve these, uh, these huge things. So that's, it's, uh, it's really good to see. And with, um, with the media that you've had after the triple crossing, how have you, how have you sort of found that you've been received by the different, news organizations around the world? Well, it was nothing like the Cuba USA attempt I did in 2013. Unfortunately, that finished after 11 hours from extremely excruciating envenomation from box jellyfish or irukandji. We're not sure which one. But that 
that went global. So we had 30 million Google hits at the end of that, you know, CNN, BBC, all wanting interviews. So that was truly a worldwide swim. Uh, this swim didn't make as big of an impact as I would have liked. You know, I, I really want to share my journey with as many people as I can because I feel that's that's the way, it's my vehicle that I can inspire people. So it was disappointing that it didn't really get a lot of international, you know, coverage. Uh, it got good uh, TV coverage in, in Australia, I believe. I mean, it's hard to tell because I was in the UK still at that time. Um, so that was good. There wasn't much at all in the newspapers. But you've got to understand, you know, from you know, my perspective, being a marathon swimmer, that I don't get any support from, you know, the VIS, the AIS. So I have to fund not only, you know, the pilot's fees, the Channel Swimming Association fees, flights, transfers, the same to get my husband over to England. We were over there for eight weeks this year, you know, in Europe. But I've also got to fund the PR behind all this, which is just, it just seems like an extra cost at the end of the day. Mm. Um, so we don't really have the funds to um, push the message out there and be as available for the media as really we, we should be. Um, so you know, I did my best. I I was up in London twice, you know, within 24 hours of finishing the swim to do um, live uh, satellite link-ups to Australia. But as far as, you know, pushing that message out there, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate but, you know, you do your best you can with, with what you've got and that's that's what I do well, <laughs> on a small budget. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's it's pretty pretty awesome what you're what you're doing with a you know, a very very small team there. So I mean what why was the Cuba USA swim so big? Was it purely because of where it was and the American press getting a hold of it? Well, Cuba up until you know, only, only a few months ago, was categorised as a terrorist country by the United States of America because of the whole Cuban Missile Crisis and Fidel Castro issues, blah, blah, blah. So America has this you know, intriguing relationship with this country that really is just 100 miles away. Like, it's not very far away. Um, and, you know, obviously there, there was issues with refugees trying to, paddle their way from Cuba to get um, sanctuary in, in the US, things like that. So politically, it's, uh, it was a hotly kind of charged issue. So if you, if you bring a swim between those two countries, you're bringing the spotlight back onto all these huge issues. Hmm. So I think politically, it was a very charged swim. And the fact that a lady who was very famous in the USA was also trying to complete that same swim. And at that point, she hadn't completed that swim um, uh, Diana, some of you may have heard of her. So, and she was very, very good at working up the media in, um, into a frenzy about this swim. So, we piggybacked um, a lot of that coverage and a lot of that interest in that swim. Yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and then with the Bahamas swim, was uh, is that something that was on your um, sort of you know, in, in your sights for a long time? And for for those that don't know what we're talking about, um, we actually did a podcast. Uh, I think. I think after you did it, or maybe beforehand, but basically the uh, the, the uh, longest, 124 kilometres, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, 124-kilometre uh, non-stop swim, uh, and that was over in the Bahamas, which is the longest that anyone's uh, swum unassisted. Is that right? That's it, correct. Yeah. So no stinger suit, no wetsuit, no flippers, no snorkels, no shark cage, and no current to push you. Mm. 
And um, yeah, so I mean, with with that swim, was that uh, you know something like which would you prefer to achieve? Was it be that or the triple? Uh, oh, now you've really got me, Brenton. <laughs> <laughs> They're both it's like really choosing between two, two children, isn't it? <laughs> it is. You're asking me which sibling I love the best, <laughs> which child I love the best, sorry. Uh, they're, they're very equal because, I mean, the world record, no one's done in history. So that's pretty special. But then the triple crossing was probably my first love. You know, that that was what I've loved since I've started. The, I love the idea of it. Even before I wanted to do it, I was just always in awe of the three people who'd done it. I was like, they're the most amazing swimmers I can even mm. think of in the whole entire world. So. I always looked up to them whenever I started researching English Channel Swimming. So that was my first love. But I do love them equally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> um, when, you, um, when you sort of set your sights on a, on a swim, whether it's the triple or um, the, mar- the, you know, the longest distance, do you find yourself acting or, or getting out of bed um, with a little bit more, um, little bit more spark? I'm just sort of thinking to you know when I've when I've picked an event that I'm training for and it's it's maybe something I haven't done or it's it's going to be a a big challenge for me. I find that it's just you know sort of things th- things really change and it's so much easier to to get the training done to eat well and uh, and I find that uh, sort of family and uh, and coaching and business everything really starts to come together because you're just you're on. And, you know, with this big thing a couple of months away or, or even a year or two away, um, you know, you, you can really just, um, you, you, there's something changes in you. Do you sort of find the same thing happen to you? I guess what you're trying to say is, do I get the extra kind of spur of motivation or direction or focus? Um, it's a hard question because, you know, the training that I do is quite intense and, you know, it can be really monotonous and it drags me away from in other way, in other things I love. Um, so, you know, I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the amount of training that I need to do. You know, you know, I need to do it to get myself ready and prepared. But do I bounce out of, morn- out of bed every morning leading into one of these swims? Not always, no, because, you know... I don't know what the outcome is going to be. Try and stay positive, but I've had times where that my whole year has been geared towards trying to complete a triple crossing, and when that hasn't been successful, it's just felt like the whole year's been a waste. Like I haven't moved forward, I haven't achieved anything. Um, so you know, I have all these thoughts running through my head, um, and it's not always you know roses and you know, um, happy days. Some, some mornings are still really hard, but when I get, you know, lovely supportive messages on Facebook or emails or this year, well, last, I guess, 18 months I've been coaching swimmers across the English channel and that, funnily enough, that motivates me a lot. So whether they're doing a relay crossing or a single crossing, a very different goal than mine, even though it's in the English channel, their motivation and their happiness and, their love of their training camps or our Skype sessions, that's actually given me a lot of motivation that I wouldn't have had this year. So it, that might have been one of the things that have changed this year. I've had a lot more positive vibes around me um, and I've been 
involved in so many amazing journeys that that's given me, you know, these an extra positive spin on all my training and all my journey. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. Like the, I guess the the training for something like what you're doing compared to a 200 meter freestyle, for example, it's um, even, although if you're training for a shorter event, you're not going to love every minute of it. It's still a lot easier to to sort of go and do the training because it's much shorter. You're not in the in the cold water. It's it's not as monotonous as um, as what you might have to do. So it's I think it's an interesting distinction between those two kinds of training because um, I mean I saw when um, a friend of ours uh, Matt Harry was training for the channel. It was it was a real grind. It was he you know he uh, he would get to the the sessions that I was coaching and. Um, you know, and he'd just kind of be an autopilot, just wanting to, to get through it because it was just, you know, one of the six sessions for the week and, the, you know, two of them were over 10K and, uh, you know, and he was just really, really grinding it out. So, um, and then, you know, you're doing that, but on steroids sort of thing, like you're, you're doing that and it's, and it's, you're having to go even longer uh, and, and further than, than what he was doing. So, uh, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting. And I mean, it's, it's a bit like, um, you know, you see on people's Instagrams or Facebooks and uh, put up all these lovely pictures and life's, life's amazing and this is what's happening. But when you sort of, you might see that, but in the background of it, a lot of, uh, you know, maybe hard work or a lot of quiet time where, you know, just the day-to-day stuff um, is being done. So I, th- I think the life of an athlete can be, can be very glamorous in, in some aspects, but, um, but the majority of it is hard work. Yeah, I've got to agree that 99% of it is very hard work and not glamorous at all. Like when I was on TV with Have You Been Paying Attention, they did my hair and makeup and they're like, oh, make sure you wear something that you would wear to a dinner party, like a dress. And I was like, this is so bizarre. <laughs> I can't even imagine the last time I wore a dress. <laughs> and I had my hair and makeup done. I didn't even recognize myself. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. It's funny when you get uh when you get you know, athletes who aren't used to, uh, to going out to social functions, whatever, they're just used to training on a, a Friday night and Saturday morning and, uh, and wanting to sleep in on a Sunday and so to get, get to bed early. It's a um, it's very, very different thing than what, uh, what a lot of us are used to. Um, with, uh, with the coaching side of things, so, I mean, is it the last two years you've been doing that or the last one? Well, uh, it kind of... <laughs> It kind of grew very big the last 12 months. So the first year was more like a, a pilot run for me. I was just going to see, you know, if the format was going to work and how far I would take it. So year one was uh, 11 athletes in three relays across the channel. And then this year that the season's just coming to a close soon, but my athletes went athletes went very early in the season, um, late June and early July. So there was... 43 of them who successfully crossed the English Channel, so seven relays, uh, 40, 41 people in those relays, so averaging about six in a relay, six or seven. Um, no, averaging six, sorry, and then the, the two solos um, as well. So, I mean, that, that in and of itself has been a full tro- full-time job the last 12 months, um, but obviously been really special and I love doing it. And um, once again, I'm... I'm winding up for the 2016 channel relays that are going to go across. And are they still, like, how, how long do people uh, sort of need to, how long out do they need to, to book and, and organise these things? How do you work the, 
the channel uh, relays? Well, right now, um, it's just expression of interest for those that may want to join, say, Relay in 2016. I've even had some people reach out who hope to swim the channel or maybe they've already booked um, with a pilot to swim the channel in 2017 and 18, and, and they're inquiring about whether they think it'd be valuable to swim in a relay for 2016 to help them prepare and get ready and get used to the cold water training and the nutrition, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I've got quite a few of them who have inquired about that. And some of my relay swimmers from 2014 and 2015 have actually gone on to do solos or doing solos in the future, which is quite interesting. So, yeah, I mean, it's just about inquiring. If you can email me, my email um, is on my Facebook and my website. And then I send out a questionnaire just so I can get a quick um, snapshot of the athlete's background. Then we do a Skype session and I share more information about the, what the program's about. But I think what makes the relays that I run different from, you know, most relays is it's a real, really intensive program. For example... We catch up in person or via Skype once every month. And for the Australian Relays, we do quite a lot of camps and intensive programs to make sure you know, we give them every single opportunity. So it, it's not a relaxed approach to swim in the English Channel because I want to maintain such a high success rate and I want everyone to have you know, a wonderful journey and experience, a team experience. Um, but, you know, success has you know, it was shown to be successful the last two years. So I'm pretty confident with, you know, the direction that we're heading and I'm really excited about all the new people I'll get to meet um, for the 2016 group. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I think the way, the best way to start channel swimming would be to, to do a relay. I, I think back to, um, to competitions and, uh, just pool competitions and you know you love your individual races and they can be a lot of fun but as soon as you're doing the relays there that's when you perform far better than what you do by yourself and just the environment and the culture um, within that team is um, is what really makes makes me a lot of fun so if you're doing that for the channel um, you know what better way to enjoy a meal and a, and a beer on the other side of the channel with four, five or six of the, you know, the people that you swam across with, that'd be, um, that'd be a really great achievement. And to do it as a team, you know, it's just, uh, just so much, so much more fun that way, I think. Yeah. And that's the feedback that I'm getting from one of my swimmers and a few of them, are having, you might've heard of this Brent and you probably possibly experienced it yourself. You know, when you achieve a big event, like an Olympian goes to the Olympics and then they have this, this down period <laughs> a month or two later. Yeah. So I've now got these swimmers that are like, oh, my God, it was so awesome. But now, now we don't know what's next. <laughs> so we're a bit depressed. <laughs> yeah, so it's obviously a really good experience if they're having withdrawal symptoms. And, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're plotting future adventures together. And, you know, a lot of them didn't know each other before this experience. And, and that might have been something they're a bit nervous about because, you know, they, they're in this team with people they haven't yet met. Um, but by the end of it, they've created these new friendships, which hopefully will last a lifetime. And, and they're now, you know, starting to organize meetups with each other, of what swims they can do in Australia or international. And it's grown a life of its own. So even though I might have introduced them into the team, 
they're now off doing their own things together, completely independent of me. And they've they've created this um you know this this great this team experience that you know is external of me that you know is no longer about me at all. It's you know them carrying on and and going on you know their own tangent happily, which is great. You know from my from my experience, it's not just about the swimming. It's not just about each hour leg they did and, and reaching France, which is great, but it's about all those other things that you can't put a price on. They're just intangible. Yeah, yeah, totally. We, I found the same thing when I ran the uh, the Hell Week swim camp in Thailand last year, which we've got coming up in uh, October again. It's we had twenty odd athletes, and a lot of them still, if they're if they're close together, they still swim together. They still talk over email, um, meet up at swims, and you know when you spend that much time with someone or you go through such a hard experience with someone it's very difficult not to form a very close relationship and i think sport's the best way to do it going through those hardships is you know you really find out what a person's about when you when you do that and exactly yeah and then you can you know when you meet up with them you always just think back to that that hard time that you've been through and um you know and, and you can be very honest with people and you um you form those ties and bonds and you might talk about stuff that you wouldn't talk about with your closest members of your, of your family because you you've got that that shared experience and um, yeah and I'm, that's what I'm looking forward to with our Hell Week Swim Camp in October is um, is putting people through their their paces for a week with one to two swims a day and um, some open water swims and strength training and um, yeah and you really get to see what people are made of in that environment and you come out the other end and you're feeling completely buggered. But uh, you know, but you you feel like you've accomplished a lot and a lot more than what you would probably feel like if you'd just gone for a week long holiday to to Thailand or if you'd gone to to England for the week just to uh, to sightsee. Exactly. So you, you get you know much more value than, but more value than just doing pure training because anyone could do you know a few sessions or ten sessions a week in a pool in Melbourne because you're in that hot house environment where you can, it's just you, no work or life distractions and they can just focus on those specific things um, and they can put their energy into that and work together to get through the week. I mean, I'm sure it's going to be really a special experience for everyone going through that this year. And what a great way to get heaps of training in if you're hoping to be in a relay in 2016 or a solo in, you know, in, in any other year after be It'd be great for athletes who want to do longer marathon swims to jump into your camp for sure. Yeah, we've got um, we've got a couple of um, swimmers who are sort of training for the the longer swims. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to to them coming along. And um, and I coached, I did a sort of technique and video analysis session with um, with your guys who would, who did the relays uh, and the solo swims this you know in the past couple of months. So. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to, to your group of swimmers uh, who are going to be heading across next year in 2016. So for, um, for anyone who's interested in um, doing a, a, a channel relay, um, get in touch with Chloe. So Chloe, do you want to um, let people know where to, where to best find you and get in touch and uh, inquire about doing one of the channel relays? Sure. Well, probably via email is the best way. So it's Chloe, C-H-L-O-E at ChloeMcArdle.com. And my surname's M-C-C-A-R-D-E-L.com. Um, and if anyone wants to join our camps, for example, so we do intensive open water camps. We've got one in Tassie in April around um, Anzac Day next year, another one in Sydney in the 
um, middle of the year, July school holidays. Um, a lot of Cold War training in both camps. You can get your qualifiers for the channel. Um, that's open to those that aren't even on the program. So they'll be coming up too. So if you email me, I can put you on our database so you can find out about any um, any other activities that we're running that you know you can come along to even if you're not signed up just from the channel. Awesome. And I'll, I'll uh, provide those links in uh, in the post for this this podcast. So go to effortlesswimming.com to find that. And uh yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's important to sort of stick to to what you you're good to, and that's why anyone who comes to me and they're asking about swimming long distances or the or the channel or any cold water swims, I've got no experience in that, so I don't uh, and I don't pretend to. So I refer everyone your way because you obviously know it know it very well. So um, that's uh, you know, if people are interested in that sort of thing, I think uh, the best place to go is to someone who who um who's has that experience and uh, i think you're a little overqualified but um <laughs> it's uh it was awesome to see you yeah, make the channel and uh you know i've known you for i don't know maybe the last uh seven years or so maybe uh yeah maybe the last seven years if not not longer so it's been awesome watching you accomplish all these things over the last couple of years and um yeah it's uh it'd be good to see what you achieve in the, in the next few years as well. So, Chloe, thanks for being a part of the, the podcast for, I think, the third time now. You're such a good guest that uh, you've been on here the most. I'm a repeat offender. You are, <laughs> <laughs> but for, uh, for, for very good reasons. So, um, yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast, and no doubt I'll have you uh, on again soon. Thank you, Brenton. Thanks for joining us on the Effortless Swimming Podcast. To get transcriptions, bonus videos, and to be the first to hear about new episodes, go to swimmingpodcast.com.